Matthew chapter 28, if you guys want to go ahead and take your seats. Hey, and let's pray before we get started. Lord, your spirit wrote this. I pray that you would teach us, help us to just take it, learn it, apply it, not just to know it in a head knowledge, Lord, but to truly put it into practice in all that we do and all that we say and to live it in your name. Amen. We finished up our study in Matthew last week. And I think it's important after you get done studying the Gospels to at least get into the book of Acts a little bit to see how they put it into practice. It's one thing to study it. It's another to say, how do we actually go and live it? Now, we studied Acts about three and a half years ago. So I don't want to get into Acts and do the full verse-by-verse study, but I think it's important to take what Jesus said here in Matthew 28 and then to at least go and do an overview on Acts and say, what does it look like in practice? Because these are the final words that Christ chose to give us on what we're supposed to be doing. Now look at this one more time. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, we generally call this the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what he's asked us to do. So if that's what he's asked us to do, that's what we need to go do. That's what we need to put into practice. So what did they do in the book of Acts? What does this look like? And practical examples of to go, make disciples, baptize, teach, to really live the life. A lot of churches that I see are what I like to call the country club churches. Let's just get together. Let's encourage one another. Let's have some fun for each other. And let's just all pat ourselves on the back. According to this, part of what we're supposed to be doing as a church in verse 19 is going Making disciples. It's not about growing this church. It's not about growing the body of Christ at harvest numerically. It's about representing Jesus Christ in all that we do and all that we say. Not just on a Sunday, not just on a Wednesday, but to truly live it. And that's what they did in the book of Acts. What did they do? How did they really live it? And that's what we get to see. I've got a couple verses I just want to share with you to kind of show you what we're talking about. Can you go with me to Acts, please? Acts chapter 4. Keep your hand in Matthew 28. We're going to get back to that. But in Acts chapter 4. Now a little bit of the background here. As you're going to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are heading towards the temple. They see this man that is lame. And they heal him in the name of Jesus. Well, word gets around that they healed this man in the name of Jesus. Now you've got to remember, this is only a couple months after Christ has risen from the dead. So the Jews do not want to hear about the name of Jesus. So therefore, Peter and John are brought in before the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish governing body. And they tell them, you can't do this. You can't go around talking about Jesus and doing these things in the name of Jesus. But what they're so amazed about is this. Look at verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. These two guys that are standing before the Sanhedrin just a couple months ago ran in fear. And now they're standing boldly before the governing body. These guys are fishermen, uneducated, untrained. And what are they marveling at? That they had just simply been around Jesus. Guys, this is the people we're dealing with. This is what you and I are. We are uneducated, untrained people. And what do we have? We've been around Jesus. So since we've been around Jesus, that changes how we live, how we act, how we work. It changes our entire lifestyle. It's not just something we do on a Sunday morning for an hour. It's not just something we do on a Wednesday. It changes who we are completely and utterly because we're uneducated, untrained. I run into this a lot. 
I run into somebody who may not know me real well or maybe new to the church, and they come up and they ask me, one of the first questions they ask is, where did you go to school? And I know what they're asking. They're asking, where did you go to seminary? I get that. They don't say that. So I say, I went to Defiance College. Now, if they don't ask anything else, I just let it go. <laughs> I let them think what they want to think. And if they usually say, oh, I didn't know Defiance College had a seminary program, I usually respond with, I didn't know that either. <laughs> My degree is in, is in finance. I have a degree in finance, and I happen to be the pastor of the church. I have a degree in finance. The one thing that I do nothing with out here in church is money. I don't touch it. I don't count it. I don't write checks for accountability. I stay completely away from it, but my degree is in finance. I am uneducated. I am untrained, but you know what? I know Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. These are the groups of people that we have in the book of Acts. Now, let's build on this a little bit. Go to the next chapter, chapter 5. See, what happens here now is they... Keep talking about Jesus. So since they keep talking about Jesus, they get pulled before the Sanhedrin one more time again. you got to quit doing this. Look at what they say about them in verse 28 of chapter 5. Saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Can you imagine people making that accusation against you? Your boss calls you in. Listen, you filled this whole place with the doctrine of Jesus. Talk about a backhanded compliment. Can you imagine if everybody on your street was filled with the doctrine of Jesus because of what you did and what you said? Can you imagine if your town was full of the doctrine of Jesus and that was the accusation they brought against you is you have filled this community, this job, this workplace with the doctrine of Jesus. What a great compliment to give you. But now it gets a little bit more forceful. Verse 40. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. These are the people we're dealing with. You threaten us. You beat us. We're going to still keep doing it. Because this is not just something I do on a Sunday. It's not just something I do on a Wednesday. It's not my little daily devotional. This is my lifestyle choice that I've chosen to live for this man Christ and all that I do and all that I say. And it's not just here or there, verse 42. It is everywhere, in the temple and every house. That's what they're talking about. Every facet of their life was open to Christ. When they were going to the temple, looking for opportunities for Christ. Opening up their house, looking for opportunities for Christ. Dawn had a word that she used a couple weeks ago that really hit me. And it's about being purposeful in what we do. Purposeful for Christ. You know, so often we would say, okay, we're leaving. We're going to go get groceries. We're going to go to the park. And we pray, Lord, for safety before we go. And Lord, give us an opportunity to represent you. Amen. So then we go. We get groceries. We go to the park. We get ice cream. We come home. It was a nice day. But were we purposefully looking for an opportunity to really represent Jesus and all that we do and all that we say? See, I look at these people in verse 42. They would go to the temple. They would go to every house. But as they were doing it, they're looking for opportunities. They're not forcing it. It's not legalistic. It's spirit-led. But we are so open to representing Christ and all that we do and all that we say. It changed their life. Opening up their house. See, we do this a lot as Christians. We have our little barriers. The church thing on Sunday is okay. The church thing on Wednesday is okay here and there. But to open up my house, this is something the Lord's really laid on my heart here. 
last few years is, what does it mean to open up your house? Some of you know we do foster care. Let's open up our house to the kids that can come in. Have small group studies, have discipleship. Let's open up our house. Let's live life in front of people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, you may say, well, that's great. You, you don't realize how difficult that was for me for years. Because what happens is this. If you wanted to come over to my house, it had to be perfect. It had to be swept. It had to be dusted. Everything had to be great. My kids are all wearing little three-piece suits. <laughs> They're probably speaking Greek and Hebrew as you walk in, and it's just perfect. And I would say, oh, this is just what we normally do right here, right now. And I have come to realize the best way to represent Jesus is to live life in front of people. So if you come over to my house, my kids are going to be running around. My kids may take a moment and fight over a little stegosaurus dinosaur. And hopefully you'll see us how we handle that. You may see some stuff. You may see this. But we're going to live life in front of you because that's really what we want to do. This is what it means to hopefully be a Christian and to live it at home, etc. No more fake fronts. No more presenting this facade. Because I know what people think. Pastors, kids, they're perfect. No, we have five little sinners. You've heard, and I'm not making a joke. You've heard me explain marriage. Would you like me to explain marriage and life one more time? I'm a sinner that married a sinner, and we've reproduced sinners. And so now all of us sinners live in the same house. That's what marriage is. That's what life is. We are all sinners that need to be saved by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. And Dawn and I are trying to work that out. We're trying to work that out with our kids, and we want to live that in front of people. And so that I see in verse 42, and in their house. What are they doing? They're teaching and preaching. Two different words there. Teaching means to instruct. That's what we're doing right now. We are teaching. Teaching you the way of life and what it means to live for Jesus. Preaching literally just means proclaim. So when you go and talk to somebody, you have that little quick spirit-led prayer. Am I talking to a believer that maybe isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing or maybe they need to be encouraged, whatever? I need to teach them. The right path. I need to teach them what the Bible says. Okay, I'm talking to a non-believer. I need to proclaim Jesus. I need to preach Christ to them. And that's what you see them doing in Acts. You're believers, then we want to teach you, instruct you, disciple you. Let's see you go deeper. You're not a believer, then let me tell you about who Christ is. Teaching and preaching, proclaiming Jesus in houses, in the temple, and whatever they do, living the life living it openly in front of everybody. That's what you see going on here in the book of Acts. And this is what we stop and say, okay, now, do we want this? And what does it look like for us? With that being said, let's go back to Matthew 28. Jesus' great commission is telling you four things. Let's read it one more time. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. First thing he asks you to do, verse 19, is go. Second thing he asks you to do is make disciples. Third thing he asks you to do is baptize. And the fourth thing he asks you to do is teach. That's what we're going to see them do in the book of Acts. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Those four things. If we would do those things as individuals, as families, as in a body of Christ, we could turn the world upside down for Jesus. Now, remember what I mentioned to you last week. I said there was three things I want you to pray about. The first one is, what does this look like for you as an individual? What does this look like for you as your family? And what does this look like for us as a church? 
That's what we need to discuss as we go through Acts. What does this look like? First thing we see that Jesus wants us to do in verse 19 is to go. That's a simple statement. He wants you to go do something. He wants you to do something. A lot of times I see Christians that are very content just sitting. They come to church, they sit. They come to Wednesdays, they sit. They look good, they sound good. I'm up here, I see. Some of you fall asleep. Some of you look like you're taking notes. It's not, it's tic-tac-toe. You got your phone out, you're looking up the Greek and Hebrew. No, you're not, you're playing a game, I know. But a lot of times we sit. And why do we sit? Well, because things are getting done, things are being accomplished, and everything's fine. I'm just going to come and then just be fulfilled. I know what that's like. As my boys are getting older, guess what? It's easier for me to sit. So when I am in the living room, and I see the living room picks up, needs picked up, boys, we need to get the living room picked up. I will sit while you get it accomplished. Trash needs burned. I will sit while you go burn it. In a few years, I will have to do nothing. I will just be able to sit because things are getting accomplished and being done. And what happens sometimes in a church is, well, things are being accomplished and being done. But God wants you to be involved. He wants you to go. Now, be careful. Let's talk about spirit-led being legalistic. I see people that serve, and they are very busy, but it's a legalistic serving. Well, they need help with this. Well, I'm going to go do this. So we announced the mission trip to Mexico. Well, I'll go to Mexico. We need help in the back. I'll go in the back. I'll help at the car care ministry. I'll help with this. I'll go see the movie. I'll be involved in discipleship. And they're very busy. But is busy necessarily going deeper in the Lord? No. In the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, Jesus comes out and says, listen, I know what you're doing. I know your works. I see your actions. You are busy. But you left your first love. See, Churches sometimes just spin their wheels. They can have a bulletin that's completely packed with stuff. Once again, Mexico, outreach, all this other type of stuff. But is it spirit-led, wanting to go deeper, make disciples, see the world changed? We've got to be careful that we're just not busy to be busy. We don't want legalistic serving. We want spirit-led serving. And that's what you see in the book of Acts is these individuals felt led to go change the world, put their lives on the line, and live the life. I shared with you an example a while ago about the dead leaves. Dead leaves blow all over the place. They start in your yard and end in your neighbor's yard. Constant motion, constant activity, but they're dead. I've seen people in churches that have constant motion, constant activity, but are they really spiritually alive? See, we want to go, we want to do something, but it needs to be spirit-led. To do this means you have to change Your mindset. Because a lot of times the mindset we have is what I call calendar and commitment mindset. Well, this is what my week looks like. Okay? So I have to be at work tomorrow at 7.30. So that means I need to get up at 6, 6.30. I need to be leaving by 7. And then I'm not going to get home from work until 5, 5.30. And then I need to make, make supper. So Jesus, I love you, but I'm not a morning person. So you can't expect me to get up and do anything in the morning. I'm at work all day. I get home, I do supper. And then once supper's done, the kids got this practice. We got this. We're going around. So I get home, I get them to bed. So Jesus, it looks like you got from about 9.45 to 9.56. And for those 11 minutes, I want to be the most spirit-filled, led believer in the world. You're letting your calendar and your commitments control you. You're not letting Christ. Now, be careful. People hear this and say, well, you're saying I'm not supposed to go to work? You're saying I'm not supposed to, my kids can't be involved in activity? I'm not saying any of that. 
I'm saying everything you do, though, is ministry, and it's spirit-led, and it's purposeful. So when you go to work, you're going to a missions field. And yes, you're there to work as if working for the Lord, not for man. You do a good job. But Lord, who can I represent you today to? When you go to sporting events, if your kids are in sports, what we do with our boys is we stop and say, okay, you're going to basketball, you're going to soccer, that's great, but you're actually going to minister. That's what matters more than anything. You're going to find that kid that needs to know Christ, that needs a friend, and you're going to go be purposeful in ministering to them and what we do and say. As I mentioned to you earlier in the message, so often we would go and have a full day, park, ice cream, whatever, groceries, but what did we do for the Lord? Oh, we were open. We were willing. But there's a whole other level that you see in Acts of purposeful. This is my purpose today, is to represent Jesus. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to push it. I'm going to be spirit-led. And when God opens a door, I'm going to take it. It's difficult, isn't it? As we mentioned last week, I shared with you that quote from an atheist of all person. That atheist that said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about eternal life. That if we as Christians really believe in the eternity of heaven and hell, how much do we have to hate somebody to not tell them about Jesus Christ? I did a hospital visit recently. And I was going to do this hospital visit, drove there, visited the person. And, you know, classic hospital visit. You stop, you talk, how you doing? And then you just kind of make small talk about life. How's it going? And, and you kind of end with, well, you know what? I just want to let you know we're praying for you. And can I take this moment and pray for you right now? Then usually pray and then you go. Okay, I represented the love of Jesus. I ministered. I did what the word said. I visited the sick in their time of need. But as I'm talking to this person, I stopped and I thought, I've known this person for 15 years. I don't know where they really stand with the Lord. So I'm doing my job. I mean, I'm representing Christ. I'm going to pray for you. And, but if I walk out of this room, do I really know where you're going? So then all of a sudden, the conversation, I said, okay, Lord, is this something you want me to do? Because I don't want to force it. It has to be spirit-led. And I felt like the Lord saying, it's time to be bold. So hey, listen, are, are you a Christian? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? And I thought, I could just pray and go and do my pastor thing, or I could really stop and say, I care about this person's soul. Is this person, where is this person going to go? Because I'm sent, that's what the Lord said, go. And I can be busy. I could be the dead leaves blowing around. I could be the spinning wheels. I don't want that. I don't want that for this church. I want us to be purposeful in ministry and doing it. And it means changing our mindset when we realize it's not about us, but it's about Jesus i got two verses I'm going to share with that. Can you go with me to James, please? James chapter 4. Because as I mentioned to you at the beginning, we start off all week, and we usually have a calendar of commitments. And we try to fit Christ in. I want us to work backwards with that. Let's make Christ first. Now, we all say that verbally. But do we really live that? What does it look like to stop and say, okay, Lord, your week, excuse me, my week is your week. James chapter 4, this is something that Dawn and I try to do. We'll sit down, usually on a Sunday evening, and I'll get out my calendar. She'll get out the family calendar, and we'll say, okay, the boys got this, they got that. And I say, okay, I got a surgery this day, I got a surgery this day, I got a funeral here, and we'll make sure we're on the same page. But then we always pray this verse, James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
How arrogant and prideful of Dawn and I to stop and say, Lord, here is our calendar for the week. I hope you can find some time in there. Lord, it's your calendar. Yes, you have commitments. Yes, you have responsibilities. I'm called to be a responsible leader of my house, provide. You guys are called to provide for your families. You need to make a living, etc. But how can we be purposeful in that? How can we look at the week and start saying, you know what, maybe this needs to go. Maybe this is not as important as we think it is. Maybe I'm elevating this too much. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Seed lands in four places, stony ground, then it lands on the wayside, it lands among the weeds, and there's finally the one that grows up. But if you remember, some of them did sprout up, but the Bible says they got choked out. How often does life choke us out? We have all these big dreams, plans, passions. Lord, this is what we're going to do. Then life gets in the way. What does this look like practically? Can you go with me to Luke chapter 9, please? Let's talk about individuals that went to Jesus and said, we want more. I think we'll be surprised by Christ's response. Luke chapter 9. What we're studying here in the book of Acts is purposeful living. Spirit-led individuals that said, we want to truly live the life. Live the life. Not just live a life as a Christian, but live the Christian life. Let's look here at Luke chapter 9. Now, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, you have three individuals that come to Christ. And they sure sound good. Look at verse 57 of Luke 9. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell. We're at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if you just read this, Jesus doesn't come across in the best light right here. you got three individuals that are saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. And each one, he kind of pushes off to the side a little bit. So let's, let's break this down. First one, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Boy, that, that sounds passionate. Have you ever had that moment of passion? It just hits you. Lord, oh man, starting tomorrow, I'm, I'm getting up early. I'm going to read every day. I'm going to pray every day. In fact, Lord, I'm going to read the whole Bible tomorrow. You know, and then I'm going to fast for a week straight, and then I'm going to tell every person I see about Jesus. And it lasts for about 10 minutes. Because that passion, that excitement, Jesus says, let's talk about the reality. So verse 57, Lord, I'm passionate. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus' response in verse 58, sacrifice. Remember that word. Are you willing to make the sacrifice? Because look at this. Following me wherever I go, It may mean that you have nowhere to lay your head. There may be days where we're outside sleeping on a rock. There may be days where we find a tree and we try to hang out on there. There may be days where we don't know where the meal's coming from. There may be days where we're just kind of walking and ministering. He goes, can you really make the sacrifice? That's what we're talking about. It's the first step. If you really want to follow the Lord, realize there are going to be sacrifices of following Christ. Sacrifices of your time, your energy, your finances, everything. Are we willing to do that? What about the next one? This guy sounds rough. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Well, that comes across pretty rough. Jesus, can I just go bury my father and then I'll follow you? What Jesus is saying in verse 60 is let go of responsibilities. 
Now, let me build on this. We're not talking, once again, the responsibility of being a leader of your home and the responsibility of providing for your family. We're not talking that. We're talking about responsibilities that you think, you think, are very important. And Jesus says it's not as important as you think. See, let me go first bury my father. Please understand the Jewish custom of death. If his father had truly died, they bury that day. The Jews do not embalm. So it's just taken care of right then. What this guy is really saying is, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first can you wait till my father is no longer in the picture, that responsibility I have. And Jesus is saying, I'm the number one responsibility in your life. Now, what does that look like for you? Because I've talked to people about this, and it's hard, because you have so convinced yourself that that responsibility is so important that you make your world revolve around that responsibility. Now, that, every person that's individual, and please, once again, let me stress, I'm not talking the responsibility of providing for your family. I'm not talking the responsibility of being a godly wife, godly husband, godly mother. Those are biblical responsibilities we need to do. I'm talking stuff beyond that that maybe you've convinced yourself you need to do. I will give you an example from my life. As you guys know, Dawn and I got married pretty young, got engaged at 18, got married at 19. And so we got married at 19 in August, and by December, we were starting up a Bible study in our home, and the Lord blessed it. It was fruitful. It was going well. really felt like the Lord was calling us into that. By the age of 20, uh, Jim had asked me to kind of come and serve as an assistant pastor, and, and the Lord was just really doing and moving a lot in my life. And at that time, I really felt like the Lord started calling me to go into ministry. That there was more. He wanted me to be a pastor. He wanted to. And, you know, you know what happens. You know, eventually, uh, you know, Jim stepped down in 2000. And I took over. And the Lord was grooming me for that and getting that ready for it. But here's the deal. I grew up on a family farm. You know, we had sheep. We had pigs. We had acres to land, farm. And so I was the only boy. I have two older sisters. And so, therefore, it was always kind of understood that I was going to help take care of this type of stuff. I was the boy, helped dad from a young age to go out and do the bailing, to do whatever. But as the Lord kept laying it on my heart that there was more, that the ministry and being a pastor, that meant that that responsibility of being the boy in the family farm, the Lord said I needed to let that go. And I remember distinctly, we were outside of McClure. We were working on a hay field. We just got done mowing some hay. And so it was kind of just switching tractors. You know how that goes. And it happened to be dad and me here in the field. And I had Bible study that night, and he had asked me to kind of continue helping. And I said, well, i got to go. i got Bible study. And I thought, now's the time. And I had to tell him, you know, Dad, I'm not called to go into farming. I'm not. I'm called to go into the ministry. That's what I feel the Lord wants me to do. And I remember him saying, if you choose to do that, it wasn't a threat. It was just a fact. If you choose to do that, this is not going to be available to you, this family farm. And I said, I, I understand that. And I remember at that time, I thinking, I just broke this guy's heart. You know, here's dad. He wanted to pass it along to the son, the only son. And it's like, no, I have a responsibility that I feel to the Lord and to ministry, and I need to let that family responsibility go. And it was not an easy conversation. It was not a fun conversation, but God bless my dad. He took it. He handled it well. You guys know him. He comes out here, and he's always been supportive and a blessing. But that was a responsibility that I had to let go of because I felt like the Lord was calling me to something else. And what I'm trying to say is Jesus is saying the same thing to you. You may have a responsibility that you feel is the most important thing in the world, and Jesus says, you can let that go. I don't know what that is for you personally, but you may be able to let that go. What about the last example he uses here? Verse 61, that one sounds pretty straightforward too. Can't I just go say goodbye to the people at my house? 
Can't I just go say goodbye? Jesus in verse 62 says, listen, you've got to let it go. You've got to let relationships go. First one, you've got to be able, willing to make sacrifice. Second one, you have to let go of responsibilities you think you have. The third one is you've got to be willing to let go of certain relationships. Now, people have a problem with this. So I get saved, and so all of my unsaved, unbeliever friends, I'm just supposed to forget them, never talk to them again, etc. No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this. You only have so much time in the day. You have so much time and energy to invest into your walk in relationship with Christ. Be a witness to the non-believers. Be a witness to those unsafe friends and family members. But ultimately understand this. Spend your time investing in your walk in relationship with Christ. That's what matters. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you can't have both. You can't be constantly looking back at what I let go of and what I missed and then also move forward. You have to move forward. And as you move forward, that's what matters. Some of you may have something in the past, that relationship, that tie, whatever. Jesus is saying, you got to learn to let that one go. And you got to focus on me. So what do we see here in Luke chapter 9? People willing to make sacrifices. People willing to let go of what they feel is their responsibility for responsibilities in the kingdom. And people willing to stop and say, those relationships, what matters most is Christ. That's not my calendar. That's not my commitments. It's Christ. That's what we see people doing here in the book of Acts. So when Jesus says go, that's what he means. Changing your mindset on what you do. Now what about the next one here? In Luke 19, excuse me, uh, Matthew uh, 28, verse 19. It says make disciples. Now, good old King James is out there. Yours doesn't say make disciples, right? Yours says teaching. See, and it also says teaching in verse 20. The problem is these are two different Greek words. The teaching in verse 20 is what we're doing right now, teaching, instructing. The teaching in verse 19 is a completely different Greek word. What it means is it means to go make disciples as a lifestyle choice. Let me actually read to you the definition. So when Jesus says make disciples, this is what he means. He means to disciple, help someone to progressively learn the word of God. To become a matured, growing disciple. To train, develop them in the truths of scripture and the lifestyle required. Helping a believer learn to be a disciple of Christ in belief and practice. See, it's completely different than teaching. This is opening up your life to them and saying, I'm going to live life in front of you. That is what you see happening in the book of Acts. You see these people living life with each other. The good, the bad, the ugly. See, when I teach, you and I have a moment together. You're going to leave here in about a half hour. I'm going to leave. We may text throughout the week. I may say, hey, how are things going? Share prayer requests. We may see each other Wednesday. And we may come back and see each other Sunday. And if you don't make it next Sunday, we may see each other in a couple weeks. That's teaching. You may listen to a teaching on the radio, maybe 20 minutes, maybe a half hour. That's a teaching. That's good. That's biblical. But making disciples is a completely different word And it's a lifestyle choice that opens up every aspect of your life. Teaching is a moment in time of instruction. Making disciples is changing your life. Where all of a sudden you are now living life in front of people and saying this is how a Christian handles it. As I mentioned to you earlier, coming over to the house, you're going to see the good, the bad, the ugly. I was reading an update from a missionary that we support, and she was talking about how uh, she ministers on the college campuses. and She's got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, if I remember correctly. So what she likes to do is when she goes grocery shopping, she likes to take one of the young women she's discipling with her grocery shopping. 
Now, for you that have little kids or remember when you have little kids, you never want to take a two-year-old and a four-year-old grocery shopping. That's like the worst thing you could do. You're asking for problems there. So she purposely takes it because she says she realizes when her two-year-old and four-year-old have an issue, these 18, 19, 20-year-old girls are going to see her live life. They're going to see her hopefully respond biblically and patience and love. See, it's really easy for me to present a slice of, of what I want you to see in my life. I can come on Sunday morning and I can scare my kids into being obedient. I can always make sure that I'm loving Dawn and you just see this beautiful picture. But then what happens the other days of the week? What happens then? As I mentioned to you last week, there's 168 hours in a week. You can fake it for a couple of them. It's pretty easy to do. What we're talking about here in Matthew, what we're talking about in the book of Acts, is living it. Living it. And opening up your life so other people can see this is how a godly believer handles difficulties, trials, tribulations, the good, the bad, the ugly. And it's opening up your life and saying, I'm no longer going to keep doors closed in my life. I'm no longer going to only let you see what I want you to see. But here I am. And I love Jesus, and you love Jesus, and I want to get involved in your life, and I want you to get involved in my life, and together we're going to grow. We're going to disciple each other and become followers of Christ in a deeper way that no one can imagine. And we're going to let go of all this fake stuff that maybe we present on a Wednesday or a Sunday. Now, for some people, you hear that, and you're like, ah, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I don't blame you. It'd be easier just to let you see what I want you to see. But what I see in the book of Acts, what I see here in Matthew, is I see a reality of how we're supposed to live. And that's what I want to present to you guys, and that's the reality that I want to show you, is let's live life together. Let's live a lifestyle choice. It's a lifestyle where I say in lifestyle and practice, this is how I handle it. And sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it wrong. But we're going to grow together, and we're going to do what they did in the book of Acts. We're going to teach together. We're going to proclaim together. We're going to preach together. Some of you may go to Mexico together. We may serve a discipleship class together. We may go help at car care together. But also throughout the week, if the Lord opens a door, we may even get together and say, let's pray and encourage one another. Because this is what it means to live it. And all that we say and do it. What does it look like in the book of Acts? Go with me to Acts 18, please. Acts 18. In Acts 18, you're introduced to a few people, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. Now, Apollos, quite the guy. Acts 18, verse 24. Look here at Apollos. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though only knew the baptism of John. This is that classic new believer. He is just passionate for Jesus, eloquent, fervent for the Lord. And he's out there saying, this is what I know, and this is what I'm going to present. And he's just loving Jesus and presenting that. But he's new to the faith. So what happens, verse 26, we began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila, what a great example of a married couple in the New Testament. Probably my favorite example of marriage in the New Testament. You always see them serving together. You always see a oneness. They opened up their home to the church. They helped out Paul. And here what they're doing is this. Hey, this guy, Apollos, he needs a little bit of help. Apollos, come here. 
You're excited about the Lord. Amen. Hey, let's get together. Let's meet regularly. What do you see in verse 26? You see discipleship. You see a couple saying, let's bring you into our home and let's talk to you about the things of the Lord. Now, married couples out there, you may have kids at home. I have kids at home. I can't stress you enough. Find somebody you can invest in spiritually. Open up your home to them. What a beautiful blessing that is. Dawn and I, throughout the years, have always had people come over to our house. We've had small groups, discipleships, and we've kind of just said, not legalistically, but we always want to have somebody meeting in our home. We want our boys to grow up always seeing that our house is not our house, but it's really just an instrument of the Lord to be used for the Lord in all ways. Maybe you're not Priscilla and Aquila, maybe not married, maybe you're an individual. Maybe you can find somebody just to invest in. Maybe you're the person that needs to be invested in. You're Apollos, and you want that deeper instruction. This is how the church is supposed to work. We're supposed to take and live life in front of each other and make disciples to truly say this is what it looks like. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for years. You have learned so much wisdom, practical wisdom. Please pass that along to the next generation of believers. Some of you are new to the Lord. You may be old in years, but you're new to the Lord. You may be young in years, but new to the Lord. you got a lot to learn. Best combination, mature saint with a new believer. New believer has a passion and excitement for Jesus that reminds the mature saint, this is what I'm fervent for. And the mature saint has wisdom that says, hey, let me help along with the new believer. I remember I got saved in 93. And I remember when I first got saved in 93, I was going to shove the gospel down every single throat I've ever met. I was just going to push it, push it, push it. Ended up getting involved in a discipleship class at Richard and Betsy's house. And, you know, just for some of you that remember Harvest from, you know, 25 years ago, it was a, a Rob and Becky Burner, Joe and April Sonnenberg, and it was just neat there. And we sat in Richard and Betsy's house and had discipleship. And, you know, and it's been a blessing. You know, Richard and Betsy were able to disciple me as a new believer, and now I get to serve with Richard. What, what a blessing it is. And they invested in me, and I got to see life being led. That really impacted me in a lot of ways. And I was so thankful they took the time to do that. Did it what Priscilla and Aquila did. This is what it means. This is what it means to go make disciples. Listen, I want you to represent Jesus in everything you do and say I do. And I want you to go one step further. I want you to be purposeful now. Lord, I want to purposely find somebody, spirit-led, not legalistic, just as they were going to the temple and they were going from house to house. Lord, I want to do that. And Lord, I want to make disciples I don't want to just be taught. I want to pass that along. We've used this example before of the Dead Sea. The reason the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is that water flows into the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet for water to flow out. So as the water keeps flowing in, it sits there. The salt content just keeps going up and up and up. Things die. Same thing happens spiritually. You get fed. Amen. You, you, you read, you pray, you mark, you underline, you study, you come to teachings, you get fed. There's supposed to be an outlet where you now take what you have learned and say, now I want to go live the life and all that I do and all that I say. Just as Jesus said in Matthew 28, I want to go and make disciples. Make disciples, not legalistically, but spirit-led in the Lord. And we're going to continue on with this. We're kind of running out of time here this morning, so we're not going to be able to get to baptizing and teaching I will say this about baptizing. We are planning on doing a baptism service coming up. If you do feel led to get baptized, please see me or Rich. We'd like to explain it to you. We're getting a list around for that. Um, And as we get into baptism next week, you'll see what baptism is and how they practice that in the book of Acts. But really what it comes down to is this right here, right now. Those three questions. What does it look like for you as an individual? What does it look like for your family? 
And what does it look like for us as a church? We want to truly live it. We want to go and we want to make disciples. We want to be a difference maker in all that we say and all that we do, purposely living for the Lord in every aspect that he opens a door with. And we want to look for those open doors. We want to be purposeful in that. And that's what you see happening here in the book of Acts. Worship team, if we come forward here for the final song. Just some quick reminders. For those that would be interested in the Mexico missions trip, informational meeting next Sunday after church. Fellowship meal this Wednesday. I think quilt class coming up on Saturday. Small group studies. They've got ladies studying on Mondays and Fridays. Men's studies Saturdays. Uh, some of you were asking about when small groups are starting up for everybody. We'll probably start those up around uh, Resurrection Day here coming up in a couple months. Um, Hey, let's just pray this into our lives. Lord, it's one thing for us to to learn this, to hear this, to see it, but we want to put it into practice. Help us in faith this week to take those steps to do it, to go, to make disciples. And what does that look like for us as individuals, for our family, for us as a church? We don't want to say it. We want to live it, Lord. No longer letting a calendar of commitments dictate us. We're just vapors, Lord. You, you lead our lives. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. And we lift this up in your name.